0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by Pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Mark. I am one of the pastors here. It is great to be with you this morning. I'm just going to add one more reason that you should go see Alyssa at the welcome desk. We do have information for those of you who have signed up to do um, a trunk, um, just so that you know how much candy to bring, what time to show up, that, that we got food for you after that sort of stuff. So just you can sit by the welcome desk and grab one of those sheets so you know what's going on next week. I just love being with you guys, church is awesome. It's great. Sunday is always a great day when it rolls around. Some people look forward to Sunday because there's football or food or family. Um, but church is where it's at and it's great to be with you guys. I love opening God's word with you. I love worshiping with you and praying with you, fellowshipping with you. It's, it's a, it's a good time. So you're going to, you can grab your Bible. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, uh, the entire time today. So I encourage you to grab it. We are going to walk through verse by verse. My slides are going to say verse 1. Verse 2, verse 3, and we're going to move our way through like that because there's so much in these verses that I just want to pull a little something out of each one of them for you as God was just teaching me so much this week. So I'm going to pray and we'll get started. God, you are so good. And Lord, we get to hear about that today. Lord, and I just pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would open my mouth to speak the words that you would have me speak. God, I need your help. I pray that you would open the hearts, God, of every person here, that you would open my heart. God, we thank you. I pray that you would produce in us, God, a a wonder and an awe of the goodness of God, of your absolute greatness. Lord, and for some people here, that might be for the very first time. And for others, Lord, that maybe something's got a little bit stale, I pray that you would produce... Lord, that again, Lord, that we would just have our eyes open to see the wonder and the majesty of you, God, of who you are and what you've done for us in order that we may be with you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Our title for today is This is the Gospel, as Alyssa alluded to. Um, this is the Gospel. It's We can't, the gospel is a massive talk, but we're not going to get there in 40 minutes. Um, but we've got a lot of stuff to get through here that is Quite excellent. So you can take a look at verse one. You can see what it says in verse one. It says, "Then you were dead in your trespasses and sins." As many of you know, and we're praying. Um, Maddie's dad, Rick, was really sick in the hospital, and uh, we got that call on a Tuesday that the family should come um, because they didn't know if that might be um, the end. And so we walked into that hospital room, and shortly after Maddie and I walked into that hospital room. Um, the doctor walked in and he started doing some tests. I was just lying there, and they started doing some tests. And one of the tests that they did was they put their fingers right here in the sternum and they pushed as hard as he could. The doctor pushed as hard as he could, and if you know anything about pressure points, that's an incredibly um, painful spot, and there was no response. And then the next thing they did is they took um, their their nails and they took his nail and they pushed as hard as they could, and again he just laid there and there was no response. And then the doctor leaned over, and he yelled in his ear. He yelled his name as loud as he could, right in his ear. And he just laid there, and there was no response. He wasn't even quite dead, and yet there was no response to reality. And I think it's a good picture of what's going on here. That says when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we are dead. There's no response for us to the reality of the truth of the goodness of God, of who God is, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we've talked about this before, but so often we picture ourselves as not that bad. Right? We think, well, like, I understand that I've sinned, but I'm not as bad as this person, or I'm not as bad as this person. And we've got to get that thinking out of our heads because the reality is your sin just separates you from God and you're over here, so it doesn't really matter. Right, You're separated, you're dead, you're not connected to life, you're not, um, you're not responding to the reality of who God is, and so you are ostensibly dead in your trespasses and sins. And I want you to recognize that, and I want you to really feel it in your gut. Maybe for some of you this is the first time you're hearing that, and I would encourage you to process that. And for the majority of you here who are Christians, I pray that you would really feel that in your gut again. Do you remember what it was like the first time when God, he opened your eyes, it was just like boom, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, my sin is monstrous. And that gave you such a love of God that he would He would pull you out of your sin because you just, you looked at your sin and you just grasped the absolute magnitude of it. And that produced an immense amount of gratefulness that Jesus would come and die in order to save you. And for some of us as Christians, that that wonder and that awe that I prayed about can, it can start to wear off. And so I pray that today that you would um, remember that again. Remember what God has done for you. Verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, The spirit now working in the disobedient. Okay, a couple things to unpack here. So first of all, rulers of the power of the air, right? We're talking about Satan, demonic forces, right? It says, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, right? So he's he's writing to Christians, so he's reminding Christians that you were supposed to be previously walking in this way. And so I want to point out a couple things about this. The first one is that Satan is not dumb. And we've got to get that out of our heads that Satan's dumb. Satan is not dumb. The things that he does and the ways that he traps us and tricks us is very, very subtle most of the time. When you think about the ways of the world, a lot of times when we say ways of the world, we go to the extremes. And I blame pastors for some of this. I'm thinking, right? It can, it can almost be like lazy preaching, that sometimes we always just talk about the things that we've built up in our society as horrible wrong. We think about major partying and drugs and sleeping around with lots of people, and yes, those things are bad. And they have lots of earthly consequences, and that's part of the reason that we build them up, right? But the reality is that the sin that separates you from God, your, your lying addiction, is a problem, right? The fact that you're harboring in your heart right now that you will not forgive somebody as Christ forgave you. That is sin too, right? And so there's there's a lot more subtlety to our sin, and I think we've done ourselves a disservice by just always talking about the ways of the world as the extremes, right? When the reality is, I think, and this is, I think this is true for all you. Some of you might struggle with some of those ones that we would say, you know what, these are these are um, we think they're bigger, but really they're they're not. But the majority of people, you know what? I think the majority of people, the battle's being lost in the little parts of our lives that, if we're not careful, are barely even noticeable. And so I'm going to give you a couple examples. The first couple are ones that Satan will do to twist people to try to keep people from coming to Christ, that they will hear the gospel, they'll hear the good news, and it, he wants to keep them from previously walking according. To the ways of the world, he wants to keep them walking in the ways of the world. And then the second um, little set that we're going to do is um, for Christians, and I want you to see um, in your own head how um, how some of these things that are very subtle can maybe creep into your thinking, and give you a chance to to really think about that and sharpen your own mind. So here's the first one: um, Satan will say to a lot of people, "You are not good enough." Right? They'll hear the gospel, and he'll say you 're not good enough you 're not good enough for that right you 're not good enough for god 's love and you want to know what the tricky part is he 's right right the he actually hasn 't said anything wrong yet right you are not good enough right that 's the reality, but he stops short of the truth right there 's the trick in that sentence right because we are not good enough on our own we we know verse one we were dead in our trespasses and sins we are Not good enough, and yet God, because of His goodness, like we sang, chooses to love us, chooses to say that we have value, chooses to say that He wants to be with us, even though we are not good enough in ourselves. I was reading an article this week. Um, I'm not an economist. I was just flipping through some stuff, and um, it was talking. They were talking about ways to get rid of the U.S. debt, and I came across a very interesting idea. And you you who are much smarter in economies, uh, you can debate the merits of this later. This seems a little bit wild to me. But they were talking about how constitutionally, technically, I think it's um, the U.S. Treasury or whatever, they could mint a $3 billion U.S. coin and wipe out the American debt like that. That constitutionally, they have the power to do that, which I just think is wild, Um, And so there's there's obviously a lot of ramifications to actually doing something like that, and it seems like a bit of a crazy idea. But this is the point that I want you to pull out of it. They have the power to attribute that value to that coin, right, even though it's not worth it. And how much more does God, as the creator of the universe, have the power to attribute value and say, I want to be with you even though you're not enough on your own? That is an amazing thought to consider. Here's the second one. You can look for the lie again. Satan will sometimes say this. He'll say, like, I, yeah, I heard the gospel. I know what, you, what they said, but like, you need to clean yourself up first to come to God. You've got to clean yourself up first, right? And again, what's the lie? Because there's, the lie is that, yes, you need to be cleaned up, but God is the only one that you can do it, right? See how subtle that is? See how subtle that is that, yes, God wants to clean you, but you can't be the one to clean yourself up. Only God is the one who can do it. And so you're going to be stuck in this perpetual mess if you're always trying to get to this place where you can clean yourself up enough to come to God because we all know what, you're never going to get there. right? And yet it's the lie that so many people believe. Here's a third one. Satan will say your sin is massive, right? Like it's too, too Big like if you only looked at your life, if God looked at your life and He like he must have died for most people, but He knows what you did, He knows everything about you. And you know that thing that I am talking about? Yeah, that thing. You don't deserve God's love and salvation. Again, what's the lie? The lie is that he shall stop short of the truth, right? Because we don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve salvation, but God, just like our passage we're going to get to in a little bit because of who he is, chooses to love us anyway. And so there's a couple that you can say for um, people who maybe are wrestling with the gospel and haven't come to that place where they want to accept the gospel yet. Those are lies that Satan will tell. Second category here is for Christians. These are some lies that we we were supposed to previously walk in the ways of the world, and yet so often we can identify in ourselves that we struggle in still walking in the ways of the world. And so what I want to do is just produce a couple things that um, have sort of sometimes can permeate our thinking, and hopefully this stirs you. Not all these might affect you. Some of them might, but I want, you, I want to spur you to think about the ways that the, you are still walking previously according to the world as a Christian. So here's the first one. Sometimes in our thinking, we will say, things will work out, right? We say that normally as a term of comfort, right? Oh, it's okay. Things will work out, right? What's the reality with that? That's not actually true. That's not hope. That's not that's something to try to just make somebody feel better, but it's actually not true. Things don't always work out, right? And we've experienced the hollowness of that saying, right? If someone needs comfort, especially if they're a Christian, don't just say things will work out. Remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in Christ, that he died and rose again, and our sins are forgiven, that he is the just judge and that one day um, he's going to judge all evil and that we're going to be with him and there's going to be no more crying or pe- tears or pain, right? That's how things actually work out. See the difference? See the difference? Here's another one. This is a big one today. The most important thing is your health. The most important thing is your health. Health is important, right? It's, it's good to be healthy. But we're not hating on health. But is health the most important thing? No, it's not. The most important thing is Christ, right? Christ didn't die for your health. Christ died for your soul. He died for you, right? Maddie's um, sister, Tess, has lived the past 10 years um, of her life or more with headaches that are infinitely worse than migraines. These headaches keep her in bed for days, and multiple times a year she'll have to go to the hospital um, because the pain is so immense that she can't handle it. And um, so she just has to go and get some relief. But her life, um, for me, has been a powerful testimony because in the midst of her pain and posts about coffee, um, she gives a powerful testimony of God and that God is good even when life is not. And honestly, for her, life has not been good for a really long time. And the reality for her is that God may never choose to heal her. Right, Her lot in life might be to give God glory through that awful pain. And so yes, health is important, but it's not the most important. And, And Christ didn't come just to make everybody healthy. He came for your soul, that you would know him deeply, and he could pull you out of your death and your sin. This one's a tricky one. Happy wife, happy life. Right? I think this is an interesting one. It can maybe can hit close to home because I think a lot of us have said it. Um, but I think when we examine it, I think it's actually quite a terrible and unbiblical and actually quite demeaning saying. Let me unpack for you and you can decide for yourself if I'm right. right. Because if you unpack this one, you say, so let me get this straight. Because we know the context that this is normally used in, right? So if the husband doesn't please his wife completely and give in to what she wants then she's going to act like a child and make everyone's life around her miserable, right? Is, that, that, that's the gist of it, isn't it, most of the time? Right, that, oh, like, I guess I got to do it because happy wife, happy life, and the implication is if wife's not happy, then life's not happy, and so that means that something else is going horribly wrong, right? Does that sound godly? No, no, and I think it's demeaning, Right, that you would insinuate that about your wife, that she would act that way and do those sort of things. Right, we know what First Peter three tells us to do. First Peter three tells us that if your husband is, he's talking to wives and he says, husbands, if your wives, um, if your husbands are, sorry, restart, <laughs> wives, if your husbands are disobedient to the word right, which you can read as a schmuck, Um, then wives, you should win them over and point them to Christ by your godly behavior, right? That's what the Bible says about how wives should interact with their husbands even if they are a schmuck, right? And so let's flip this around on the flip side, right? And wives, if you have to use this saying to get your husband to try to love you properly, right? Like if this is like your desperation tool to try to convict them in some way, Right then husbands, we've got to have a chat and say, what on earth are you doing? Right? Like Your job is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And if she's at this point where she's going to say a saying that is actually quite demeaning, like implicitly demeaning to herself, then you've got a lot of work to do right, on loving your wife the way that God has called you to. Right? And yet so often we can laugh at this because we can fall into these traps of saying these little things in the waves of the world that actually aren't. Biblical. And this is one floating around our world today. You deserve this, right? That, that comes out a lot in marketing, right? You deserve this. What does the Bible say? The Bible says we deserve death. We deserve separation from God. Because of our sin, that's what we deserve, right? So we don't deserve a car. We don't deserve new jeans. We don't deserve a trip, right? The Bible says what we actually deserve is death, and yet out of the goodness of God, he gives us things, and we can see that in the common grace of God. Here's another one that's tricky, um, follow your heart, right? This is a big one. And this is an easy one to spot in a list where I'm going down the list and you know that whatever I say, I'm going to say why it's wrong. Right? You're like, oh yeah, I guess that's not a good one. right? But it's a lot it's a lot harder sometimes when you're. it's put to dramatic music and you've been on the couch for an hour and a half and you're really invested in this show and you really like this character and you really feel like you connect with them and now this is their moment to go and to find true love and they should just follow their heart Sometimes maybe they should, but sometimes maybe they shouldn't, right? We're not always we're not supposed to follow our hearts. What does the Bible tell us about our hearts? You guys know? It warns us not to follow our hearts, right? Not to follow your emotions. Right? What does the Bible say about our heart and our emotions? They mislead us. They lie to us. They get us into all sorts of sin. So don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. Right? especially when your heart doesn't want to follow Christ. Don't follow your heart. Here's the last one I'll give you. This is just something that I wanted to sneak in. I heard it from a pastor this week, and I thought it was really good. He said, My biggest concern these days, as I meet with hundreds and hundreds of people, is that we are normalizing sin because of our constant exposure to it, um, specifically through media on places like TV, Netflix, social media, that sort of thing, right? We're already exposed to it in the world, and I'm not advocating to be nuns and monks and that sort of thing. We are to be in the world. But then we come home and we purposely choose to expose ourselves to unhealthy levels of sin where we actually have begun to normalize things just by watching it over and over and over again, right? And so I'm not saying never do those things but you have to watch the unhealthy level at which you expose yourself to it because it, we can, it's very easy to see in our culture the idea of what is right and what is normal and how it shifted so quickly. And we're seeing that permeate into the church. And I think he's right that this is part of the reason. Why? Verse 3. We too all previously lived among them and our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. Paul the Pharisee would have hotly refuted this idea, right? That the Jews were by nature children under wrath. But Paul the Christian came to understand that having the law, right, and being a Jew and does not protect himself or his people from the inclinations of our flesh in our thoughts. Um, Francis Fulkes puts it this way. He writes, The biblical phrase, lusts of the flesh, as it is often translated, is not to be taken in too narrow of a sense, but as the longings and impulses of a self-centered life. Does anyone remember that? What that's like before you were saved? Does anyone still identify (laughs) with struggling with that now? Like every day, always, right? uh, Trying not to live a self-centered life. Absolutely. Absolutely, we all really struggle with that. He goes on to say that the word mind actually comes from the Greek word dianoia, um, which meaning thought or purpose or intelligence. And this gives the idea to this verse that effects in human life of evil and selfishness, they're not limited to emotions, but also um, in embracing reason and intellectual processes as well. Right. So I just want to point out two things about that. A lot of evil is going to look well thought out and reasonable. Not everything is just like follow your heart. It's emotional. It's a sin, right? And we see that in our world today. A lot of of the evil, you have to be thinking, right? And that's one of the reasons we're constantly encouraging you to be in God's word, right? Because you've got to know what God says about these things because the lie is so subtle most of the time and it sounds really smart. And a lot of really smart people are saying these things right? And yet they're wrong, right? Because they're not following God's word. But it's, it's intellectual, it's reasoned, it's well thought out. It's not just emotional and on a whim and obvious. And the second thing, Pastor Ben said this a few weeks ago, but I think it's worth repeating. It's just that don't be tricked that sin only comes out of emotion, right? Kind of falls up over that. Much of our sin comes from the battle that we lose in our mind, right? Where we then purpose to do something that we know we shouldn't or not do something that we know that we should. And I can identify with that in myself. And we're all on a different spectrum here. Some of us pull the emotional end, and some of us pull um, more that um, intellectual end. And we're all going to struggle somewhere on that continuum. But I want you to be aware of both, because I think Satan uses both. And if you get good at one, he's just going to go pull you on the other side. So we got to watch out. And so I just want to point out that Paul says, we live previous this way, Right? The previous is in regards to the direction and intention of our heart, right? Before we were Christians, we didn't care about the fact that we were living this way. And now as Christians, we need to actively fight against these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I want to bring these to your attention, right? And that you would start to filter these things and start to think about everything that's going on. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, but God, right? That should produce a tremendous amount of awe and wonder in you, but God, right? This is the turning point for humanity. Up until this point, everything basically in these verses has been bad news. Have you noticed that, right? We were dead. We were following Satan. We were slaves to our own sin. We can't control our flesh. We can't control our thoughts, but God. And this verse is so critical because it reminds us that it's all about God. And in church, we're like, yeah, of course it's all about God. And yet our lives don't always reflect that. Do they? Do they? God saved you from death. God saved you from the power of Satan. God saved you from the chains of your sin. It's but God. It's not but Mark, right? It's but God. And then in this verse, we get the why and the how. Look at it. Why? It's because of who God is. Don't miss the contrast in these verses between who we are and we're shown to be and how we're portrayed as humans, right? Dead, followers of Satan, slaves to our own sin, desires to God, right? Notice the difference. Who is rich in mercy, right? His mercy compels us not to treat us as we deserve. It flows from the fact that God is actually love itself, right? He doesn't just have it, he is it. And I'm going to constantly encourage you when you're reading God's word to get to this question. It's like, who, what can I learn about who God is? This is the gold right here in this passage. It's who God is. It's the fact that he is love itself. And so the, he is the source of love. He's the place that all love flows out of. It's because of God. And love flowed out of him. How? In this way. Right? It's because of his love that he sent his son to die on a cross for me and for you to take our sin on himself right to die in my place to come back to life and to sit at the right hand of God in order that we would have life that's the love that God demonstrated that's the love of God as it's demonstrated verse 5 made us alive with Christ even though we were dead Trespasses. You are saved by grace. Right? We are saved by grace. We talked about that. We sang about that. Not only did we not get what we did deserve, right? To die and pay for our sins because of his mercy. But he also gives us what we don't deserve because of his grace. And what's the gift of grace? It's life with Christ. That's the gift of grace. It's life with Christ. With Christ, life with the creator of the universe, life with the one who created you, which means you're living your fulfilled purpose. We got millions of people all over the world looking to fulfill their purpose in life and wondering what it is. And the answer is here it's life in Christ. It's to live as your creator designed you to live by following him and worshiping him. Verse 6 He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens. In Christ Jesus. What's the goal of the gospel? You can think about it in your head. What's the goal of the gospel? Right? It's that we would be with God. Right? What is the gospel in a nutshell? The gospel, it's translated It's good news. So, what's actually the good news? The good news is God Himself. And when you boil it all down, God is the gospel. Because the best gift that God can give to us is himself. And so out of his goodness, he does it. And that's why he sent Jesus. Right? The goal of the gospel is not salvation. Right? Salvation is only good news because of what it allows us to participate in. Life with Christ. Right? Life with God. Seated with him in the heavens. Right? So look at this verse. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Right? So the good news of the gospel is that we are seated with him up in the heavens, that we get to be with God. And how is it accomplished? Because we are in, look at that word, in, in Christ Jesus. Right? It's not because of us, but it's because of Jesus. Right, and just to circle back on that salvation point, I want you to think about that because a lot of times we think the goal of the gospel is salvation. If you were saved and all your sins were wiped away, but you couldn't be with God, would you want that? No. Because now you're stuck in no man's land, remember? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are alive with Christ. You get stuck in this weird no man's place just like, you're saved from your sin, but you, you don't get nothing because you're not with God, right? It doesn't mean anything. The only reason the gospel is good news is because we get to be with God, because we get life in Christ. John Calvin describes it this way. He said, humanity, by virtue of Christ's conquest of sin and death, and by his exaltation, is lifted from the deepest hell to heaven itself and I think that sums up these six verses perfectly. the deepest hell is being left to our own devices and in our own sin separated from God right Just like the verses outlined before, following our passions following Satan instead of following Christ. but the greatest life the world has ever known, the life we were created for is life with Christ both now and in eternity. So who did all this for us? Who changed our path, our position, right? This also sums it up nicely. It's an old Casting Crown song. It says, it's not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. It's because of who God is that we can have life with Christ. Verse seven. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, why did he do everything that he talked about in verses 1 through 6? Why did he do everything? It's for this reason. Here's the reason here in verse 7 that he might display his immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so, do you know how he plans to accomplish this? Right? Look back at Ephesians 1 1 if you don't remember who Paul's writing this letter to. He's writing to he's writing to the saints. He's writing to the church. Right? The purpose of God for his church, as Paul came to understand, reaches beyond itself, beyond salvation, beyond enlightenment, beyond self um, actualization or recreation of individuals, beyond being good citizens, beyond unity, beyond fellowship, beyond its social justice and all the good that it does in the world the purpose of the church is to be an exhibition to the whole of creation of the wisdom and the love and the grace and the kindness of God in Christ Jesus that's the goal of the church that's its purpose that's our purpose right that's our ultimate purpose as a church and that's why everything that we do together is so critical that's why in a day where everyone's breaking apart that our unity is so critical, we're not always going to agree with everything together, but we've got to stay together. Because the purpose that God laid out for the church is at stake, that he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus, that's demonstrated through the church. Verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not yourself. It's God's gift. Paul then describes how this glorious process is going to work, right? It's God's grace through faith. And neither of these come from within us. Rather, they are God's gift. So translation, you were saved by God because he is good. Not because you were good, right? You didn't do anything. For you were saved by grace through faith. And this... Meaning, look back at both of those things, grace and faith, not of yourselves. It's God's gift. And this is only highlighted by Paul as he shows us who we are, and he contrasts that in the verses before with who God is. Right? Because we're shown as humanity, apart from God, what we were like, and then we're shown with God and what he wants for us. Verse 9, not from works so that no one can boast. I grew up in Mennonite country, and so when I read this verse, I always thought of this as a Mennonite problem, right? Because Mennonites, their um, thing that they really struggle with, that they've, they're off on their theology and is that they, they have a list of rules and things that they have to do, and clothes that they have to wear, and cars that they have to drive, and you can have a cell phone in the barn but not in the house, and it's really complicated, because the bishop, because the bishop said so, and like it's just one of those things that it's it's difficult, right? And so I just whenever I read this, I always just felt there was like a Mennonite problem. But the reality is, it's a it's a me problem, right? And it's a you problem, too, right? Not from works, so that no one can boast. It's not about us, right? It's about Christ. Verse ten. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of us, ahead of time for us to do. A couple of things to look at here. It's not we are saved because we don't cuss, don't drink, don't hate, don't, 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 that we are saved, right? But it's because we are saved that we desire to do the things that God doesn't want us to do and we flee from the line instead of running up to it, right? That's something that I've tend to notice working with both youth and adults is a lot of us want to come up to the line, And you can see it in the questions that get asked, right? Get asked in youth, it comes out. A lot of them don't say it, they're thinking it, right? They're in a relationship, they're like, how far is too far, right? Talking about sex. They want to know how far is too far, right? Because they want to get as much pleasure as possible right up to the line, but they don't want to sin, right? And they they want me to tell them exactly where that line is so that they don't flop over it, right? We're adults, we get this question a lot. Just like, tell me, how much do I have to give? Right? Because we want to keep as much money for ourselves or maybe just, just just hop over the line and we're like, now I'm in the green zone and I'm giving enough to God, right? But then I get to keep the rest for myself, right? That's not how God desires us to live by trying to run right up to the line of sin and trying just to not hop over it. Right? And it's because that we were dead in our sins, right? And utterly and we know that as Christians, we are utterly sinful, that even when we're feeling good. And we don't see this obvious sin in our life that we cry out to God. Right? This shows an immense amount of maturity. Because you've been in this place, right? Where you're like, there's times where I'm just feeling good. And I feel like there's no great sins in my life. And yet, knowing about who we are and remembering where we came from, we know that that sin is in there. And so we ask God to show us our sins, so that because we hate it and we don't want it in there, right? That's what David does over and over again in the Bible. He's, really, God, search my heart, show me my sin, right? That's that. That's one of the marks of maturity as a Christian, because we recognize um, where we were from. us. part of the reason as Christians, we need to remember the depths of what we were saved out of. And what gets us in the way of living in Christ Jesus in good works again? tons of examples I'm just going to give you one because I think one, that one of the greatest sins that plagues the West is lazy spirituality right we're too lazy to read our Bible we got, we got good excuses right Who's really good at making up excuses right got some really good ones but when you boil those down a lot of it comes down to this we're too lazy to read our Bible right? we're too lazy to actually study our Bible those are two different things right, by the way too lazy to come to church, right? You guys know that the harshest punishment the Bible gives in practical Christian living is removal from the church, right? And the it's like, if this person's sinning so bad, you know what you should do? You should remove them from the church. And the implication in that is that that will be so horrible that they would come to repentance that they would see that you can bring them back into the body. You know that's how church discipline is supposed to work? And yet, in the West, we do it to ourselves all the time because we're tired, right? Or there's no childcare, or the worship isn't what we like, or the pastor's subpar, or we're too lazy to be invested in people's lives, or there's too much rain, or there's too much snow, right? The list goes on and on and on. We've been removing ourselves from the church our whole lives, and now we've come to this place where we think once or twice a month equals, man, I'm invested in the life of the church. I'm not saying you're never going to miss a Sunday. right? There's things. But don't purposely remove yourself from fellowship in the church. Because the Bible says that that's what's to happen in the worst possible way. And yet I think a lot of the times we do it to ourselves. And so I was wrestling with this with God. Um, because I was like, God, I can see this in myself. That there's, there's definitely parts of my life that I am lazy and spiritually, right? It's something I've been working, i uh, told you guys a lot, I've been working on discipline the past couple of years because I was lazy in reading my Bible. That was my lazy, my spiritual laziness, right, is reading my Bible. Even growing up as a young pastor, it was, it was a hard thing for me to do, to take time for myself to do it because my job blessed me to be in it. So it's sort of this weird trick, right? Where it's like, well, I am in God's word, but it was, anyways, won't go that way. <laughs> Don't need to talk all about me. But I was wrestling with this, and I was saying to God, I'm not a lazy person, right? There's, there's people that wrestle with laziness. I, I don't wrestle with laziness. I work hard. I work hard for my family. I work hard um, in, in all these different ways, and I was talking to God about it. And he came back to me, and he said, you know what, Mark? You're right. You do work hard, but there's times where you put your hard work in the wrong place. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Kind of like Job, right? Where you're just like, you're right. You're absolutely right, God. And so I don't know where you are on that continuum. You might be like me over here, where you work hard, and you're a hardworking person. But sometimes you put your hard work in the wrong place, right? Or you might be on this end, where you just you struggle with laziness. And, you, and there's just so many other things you'd rather do than do the things that you know are best for you and your relationship with God, so that you can do the good works that you were created in Christ Jesus to do. But I want you to wrestle with those things. Wrestle with those things. I'm going to give you just a few other general um, thoughts about the gospel. You can know the gospel and not live the gospel. That is something that uh, we know that we can see all the time, right? I've shared with you guys my experience with suicide. It's because I saw my own sin. And I I felt, I was believing one of those lies we were talking about. I I just felt my sin was too massive for God. I knew it, and yet it just felt, I just felt the weight of it, right? And so I knew the gospel, and I had said I had accepted the gospel, but I wasn't really living the gospel. And Maddie's also shared her story with you guys about how uh, when we were growing up, um, we dated four times, and she broke up with me every time, which was really rude. And um, (laughs) she went to South Africa And she became the mom to 18 um, little broken, um, very broken children, and she was crying out to God. She said, "God, how do I love these kids? How do I love these kids?" And God came back to her and said, "You need to be able to accept my love, if you want to be able to love these children." And then eventually, that came around to also being able to love me and accept my love. But that's another example of knowing the gospel. She knew the gospel. She was a Christian. She wasn't fully living the gospel, right? She didn't have a complete understanding of the gospel in that area. And so just because you know the gospel and you know the things that I've outlined when you come to church doesn't mean you completely know the gospel and doesn't mean that you've completely lived or you're living in the gospel. Give you one more example for this. There's a TFK song that has stuck with me. I'm just gonna read you part of it. It says, the other night I had a dream. It was a world full of kings and queens, but it was cold, dark as the night. We were the fire under moonlit skies. We were divided, we were the same, and we were free, but we all wore chains. We could see it, but we created a place between truth and overrated. And the thing that always stuck with me, the imagery from that song, is um, as free people, right, as Christians, right, kings and queens walking around with chains that are broken that we've wrapped ourselves, right? There's so many things that Christ Christ has broken right? all of that sin for you, and yet we wrap ourselves in the chains for a whole host of different reasons. So I want to encourage you, is there something that you've wrapped yourself in right? because you don't, um, you're not fully living in the gospel? I'll close with this. I want to get sneak this in because this is actually the whole gospel. The gospel is for Christians. I was listening to a sermon a few months ago, And the pastor pointed out how often Paul is actually preaching the gospel to Christians. Right? Have you noticed that in the New Testament? And that's exactly what's happening here in our passage. Right? So often we get in our heads that the gospel is just for people that don't know God and need to know God to get salvation. Right? That's a rudimentary sort of way that we can always sort of think. But that's not true. The gospel is... Is God reminds us over and over again in the Bible that as Christians we need the gospel desperately, desperately all the time. So I'll give you again just three reasons, just something to jog your brain. You can think about more about why God would say that you, as a Christian who already knows the gospel, needs to hear the gospel all the time, right? And so that I pray that you would never get tired of us getting up here and preaching the gospel. Um, and here's a few reasons why we need it to hear because we constantly fail. Right, we need to constantly be reminded of the gospel and the good news of it, because as Christians, we constantly fail. The second thing you need to know well enough to share it, not to write it down on a test when you've got a half hour to write out something nice, but in that awkward moment at family Christmas or that awkward moment in a workroom, right, or that awkward moment with a friend where they they want they're like, "Hey, so what's your deal with church?" And there's your opportunity. You got to go, bam you got to know it off the back of your hand. So if the only thing that you get, and I hope you get more, but if the only thing you get as a Christian out of me, whoever, wherever you're listening, sharing the gospel, is that you would know the gospel better so that you can do that, take that and know it off the back of your hand. Number three, it shapes how you live. Right? The gospel is the motivation because God is the gospel. It's the motivation for everything God calls you to, and it's the way to accomplish it. It's the motivation for everything that God calls you to, and the way to accomplish it. Right? I get, I told the youth this, and I gave them the example. I said, "You got to obey your parents." Right? And some of them, like their parents, have failed them pretty badly. Again, on a spectrum, on a continuum. As parents, we all know we failed our kids, but there's different levels of that, right? And so I said, to them, "Like you, they might have failed you really big, but you know what?" You failed God really, really big, right? You're dead in your trespasses and sins, and so that gives you the proper perspective. And so the gospel allows you to love your parents more than the hate that, for some kids, they feel inside for their parents or the desire not to obey, right? It's the gospel at work. It's the proper context, remembering what's going on. We'll close with this quote from B.B. Warfield, there is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we cannot ever be accepted at all. This is not true of us only when we believe. It is just as true after we have believed. It will continue to be true as long as we live Our need for Christ does not cease with our believing nor does the nature of our relation to him or to God through him ever alter no matter what our attainments in the Christian graces or our achievements in behavior may be. It is always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. So what's the gospel? We were dead in our sins. Christ took the death that you deserved on the cross in order to give you life and real true life is life with Christ, right? We get to experience it partially on earth, even in our sinful bodies and in our sinful world, but we get to experience it completely in eternity. So if you haven't accepted Christ and you want to, if you want to live in that freedom, I'd love to talk with you after. Um, and for Christians, if you're struggling to live in the power of the gospel, and to live in those good works that you were created um, in Christ Jesus to do, I would love to talk to you too. And I just encourage you, preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again because you need it desperately always. You didn't just need it five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 years ago or 50 years ago. You need it right now. So don't tune out when you hear about the gospel. Allow it to wash over your soul. This is the gospel. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite Gary up to um, do communion. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Mm -hmm. Lord, thank you for today. I just thank you for your gospel. I thank you for the fact that you died in my place, Lord. You are so good. And I thank you that I can be with you and have life forever with you. It's an absolutely amazing thing. Thank you for it. I pray that you would help me to live in it, God, every single day. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.